0: have your Bibles with you. Um, You can open them up. We are in the the book of Psalms. If you're here as a visitor, we've been preaching through a section of the Old Testament Psalms this summer. Uh, Today we will be uh, looking at Psalm 125. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll uh, we'll have the words projected for you. We've just been walking through these songs together this summer. Um, I don't know about you. I've enjoyed it. Um, I also pick the Psalms um, because uh, I will be out of the, the pulpit here preaching, you know, who knows when that starts, but I've got a few weeks scheduled of preachers. But uh, Rick, those of you that know that Rick Smith, um, he goes to second service usually, he's my on-call guy. Uh, so if you know, he's ready for the Saturday night phone call, uh, baby's here, you're up in the morning kind of thing. So uh, if he comes to mind, give, give him a prayer. He, he does have a sermon prepared to preach, but uh, he's, he's my on-call guy. Um, but this morning we're, we're on uh, Psalm 125, so let's go ahead and read, read the psalm together and then we'll walk through it. A Song of Ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we we long to hear from you this morning, and so we turn to the only source of help that we have your scriptures. We pray now that you would make them clear to us, that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to believe them, and that you would make your son, Jesus, very clear to us from this passage. We pray these things in his name. Amen. I'm not sure if you saw this. um, I think it was a couple years back Tightrope walking, Nick Walenda. I think they I think they broadcasted his big walk um, across Niagara Falls um, on on TV. Uh, the Walenda family, little background, random information. The Walenda family apparently has a deep history in tightrope walking. In fact, uh, this man, Nick, his grandfather Carl, actually died from tightrope walking across two hotels in Puerto Rico, and so like they've got this history. In fact, Nick Walenda conquered that. He, he walked the same rope that his grandfather walked, and, and in 2012, um, I caught a glimpse of this. I don't remember if I was watching it live or if I saw it online, but um, I caught a glimpse of Nick Walenda walking across the Niagara Falls. Now, to to. To be clear, this was the first time that this man had actually used a safety harness. So typically on his tightrope walks, he never had a safety clipping. He never had a net under him. It was just pure skill. He was walking. Now, with the Niagara Falls one, which I was walking, um, it was required legally. The only way that he could get them to allow him to, to do this was if he did have the safety harness on in case something happened to him. But as I was watching him... Um, and this, this skill, clearly it's a skill, walking across this tightrope, I was deathly afraid for him. Like, I mean, even with the safety harness, things can go wrong. I mean, he's walking across a rope across the Niagara Falls. Like, wow. And so like, this fear welled up in me, like, wow, a lot is really riding on this. And, and then I began to think about, Man, this guy's done a ton of these types of things with no safety in place at all. And it just, it really, it really just welled up this fear in me like, wow, that's not very secure. (laughs) It's a a risky lifestyle this guy has chosen to take upon himself. Um, And, you know, faith in Christianity. It it feels like that sometimes, at least to me it does. It feels, it can feel like you're walking a tightrope, like like you want to, you know, you want to stay on the 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 straight and narrow, and you want to kind of do the right things and be a good Christian, and and it can feel like we're walking this tightrope, and it feels perhaps sometimes like we're doing it without any safety precautions at all. Like, really the thing that's going to catch us at the end of the day really is, is our performance. It's really how well we do. It's really how, how skilled we are in the craft of faith. And so, you know, what do we do when insecurity about our faith kind of creeps into our life and, and doubt about it starts to fill in? You know, you're, you're wobbling on the on the tightrope as it were, and you're, you're kind of, you're insecure, you're doubting, you're questioning, you're not really sure about much. Um, this, this song right here is worth putting on, on repeat on the playlist. Like, like, this is a song we're singing over again and again and again, particularly in those seasons of our lives when doubt and insecurity and questioning and fear really rises up uh, uh, in, in us. Um, what we're going to see today in the passage, big idea I'm trying to teach, is that the clouds, those clouds of doubt and insecurity clear when the God who surrounds his people draws near. So the picture is God's people in the valley and God being the safety net, the harness that holds God's people secure. Um, Three really, you know, surprise, surprise, three points. Um, three things really jumped out at this passage. And I mean, these are like, like big ticket items. Like, like these are probably worthy in a sermon or, or a series of sermons, each and of themselves. So I'm really, really just kind of scratching the surface of each of these. But there's these three things that jump out that really can shake somebody's faith it can really cause us to have these deep insecurities of where we are at with God and what it looks like and when we feel like we're walking the tightrope uh, tight of faith. And so here's the three things that jump out in the passage that I want us to briefly address this morning. I want us to look at doubt, I want us to look at suffering, and then I want us to look at evil. So big, big, big ticket things here. Doubt, suffering, evil. Let's, uh, let's scratch the surface on each of those. So first, looking at verses 1 and 2, uh, considering doubt. A little bit of geography background, uh, again, and and context background. These are Israelites traveling to Jerusalem. Jerusalem uh, is the center of religion for the Israelites. And so they're singing these songs as they're traveling to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would have sat in a valley, still does, sits in a valley with mountains surrounding it, Mount Zion being kind of the the peak and the epicenter of the geographical layout of the land. And so here, I mean, let's just imagine we're traveling as Israelites to Jerusalem for these worship festivals three times a year. And you kind of round the corner, you know, you, you, you round the, the corner and you begin to see Mount Zion. And so you're, you're looking at, at kind, of, kind of this climactic peak of the place where you're going. And you know, so for these believers, you know, you 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 come around the corner and, and you see Mount Zion, and it would have it would have registered a few things for you. It would have registered that that was you know that was secure, and that was un, immovable, unchangeable. It was it was a rock, and it wasn't just secure just simply by its stature as a geographical piece of the land. I mean. That was part of it, but it was secured by God's promise to his people and his provision for them. And so for the believer traveling this this tightrope of faith, looking at that mountain would have said, God is committed to me, and that mountain is symbolic of his commitment to me, the believer. Now, Mountains, and, and not not just Mount Zion, but the mountains that would have surrounded that area, it provided very real security to them. I mean, I mean, the two main things that mountains would have done for the city of Jerusalem and the people that inhabited that city was it would have protected them from weather. Elements on some, some levels. They would have been in the valley, so there would have been some protection. And it would have protected them from invaders and enemies. It would have given them the ability to see enemies coming at them and, and those types of things. And so, so really, simply the geographical layout for God's people began to give them this deep sense of security. No, no doubt in their minds, God was for them. God was committed to them but here's the problem. The problem is when we have beliefs like that and our life experiences don't always line up with it. So the problem is when our theological beliefs, the things that we say, don't necessarily align with the things that we experience. Um, It says that God's people can't be moved, but I'm fickle. I move. Um, As the hymn we sing frequently, I am prone to wonder. I'm not like that. Um, And when when you begin to really be honest about that and and doubt comes into your mind, um, it it rises up and it begins to ask the question, where's God? Like, where is my, am I in right standing with God because of my, Things I'm experiencing. I mean, you think about, I mean, again, the Israelites. I'm going back to this almost every sermon, but it, it really resonates. I mean, these were people, I mean, God's people, elect chosen nation who had been exiled, kicked out of their land, the promised land, because of their rebellion. So divine punishment, God sends them out for their rebellion, and they're scattered you know, around the land in different cultures. They have now no land of their own. They have no religious temple. They don't have church building anymore. Like, they've got to do it on their own, in their own settings. They've really got no sense of assurance. I mean, talk about doubt. I mean, can you, can you imagine an Israelite thinking that? Like, where are you at in this, Lord? Like, have you, have you abandoned your people? And so, you know, at the, really, the, the fundamental level of doubt is when we begin to translate our experience and then doubt God's love because of it. I mean, that's, that's what the Israelites would have been prone to do, and that's what you and I are prone to do, is to look at bad things happening around us and really asking the, the fundamental question, God, do you really love me? And so when doubt like that begins to creep into our lives, where is, where is it defeated? The psalm tells us it is in the unshakable and unchanging nature of God. I mean, that, it's the promise. Those who trust in the Lord are like, metaphorically speaking, Mount Zion. Um, when dealing with doubt in our lives, our tendency is to revert back to our own trusting abilities. In other words, we think that it is the strength or the resiliency or the, the ability of us to believe more that actually will rescue us from our doubt. Like, believe more. Just believe more, Adam. But the reality is, it's not the strength of our faith that, that saves us, it's really, it's the object of that faith. And so, just a simple illustration, if you're sliding down a mountain, let, let's, I mean, you can even imagine an Israelite traveling, if you're sliding down a mountain and you're, you're coming down a cliff and you've got one last thing to grab onto and you grab a branch that's hanging off of the side of the mountain, and it's the only thing that can rescue you, our inclination is to think it's the, the strength of our grip, right? our resiliency to believe I'm going to be all right, I'm going to hold on. But it's really deceptive because it's not actually the strength. Yes, your grip is important, you have to hold on. But it's actually the strength of the object that you're holding on to that gives you the sense of security. If that root uproots and goes down, you go down with it. And Psalm 125 begins to show us the object of our faith is unshakable, unchangeable, immovable. And that's when doubt begins to be defeated. Another thing we see is suffering. Verse 3. Suffering depicted in the scepter. Now, a scepter was just a symbol of rule and oppression. And so when an enemy would conquer a land, uh, symbolically the scepter would be over the land and the people declaring I have ownership of this land and of this people. And so, for God's people, again, in exile, suffering was their experience. I mean, even, I mean, yes, exiled from the land, exiled from their religious ceremonies, all those things, bad as it was, but, I mean, just think about the simple things um, of living in that culture and context. I mean, no medicine, Right? No, no medication at all, no comforts, no, you know, very little um, covering, very little clothing. Like, the, the comforts that we experience, like, we think, you know, when we think we suffer, they suffered, you know, to the 10th degree. And, but, but the thing with suffering, and the way, that really, that the scriptures talk about suffering, is that one, it was temporary, and two, it always had purpose, for, for God's people, always, and so so suffering was temporary. In that, you know, God's people were restored to the land. Um, you know, temporary meaning not not always. You know, a time stamp doesn't mean that you won't suffer your entirety of your life. We're gonna we're gonna kind of tease out what suffering looks like, but but really, it had a temporary nature to it, at least earthly speaking. But that it was always filled with purpose. And God's people, I mean, they would have doubted the purpose of exile. Why? God, you gave us this land. You've done so much for us. Now the pagans are, are overrunning it. You know, why? And here, the, you know, that's that's the big question with suffering is, is we must not only believe that God has purpose in it, but we also want to see the purpose and God doesn't always give that to us. He tells us it's purposeful, but he doesn't always show us its purpose, which is difficult for us to deal with. Um, you've, heard, you've heard this saying, I'm, I'm certain of it, um, that God doesn't give his people more than they can handle. You ever heard that? Um, it's kind of loosely, very loosely, based on a couple passages in the Bible. Um, the sentiment behind it's good, uh, but, but the question, does God give his people more than they can handle? The answer to that is actually yes. He absolutely gives his people more than they can handle, but he never gives them more than his powerful grace can handle. And that's, that's the difference with suffering. That suffering always leads to salvation. I, in fact, I came across this video, a couple of you posted it on social media of Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey, the famous actor, you know Ace Ventura and, and so on. He, he works with this ministry called Homeboy Industries. And this, this ministry, uh, it's, it's working with incarcerated and paroled people and giving them value and worth and work and those kinds of things. And, and I don't really know what the setting was, but Jim Carrey was speaking to, it looked like a, a large room full of either currently or formerly incarcerated people. And he, um, you know, here's this affluent, you know, rich, famous, you know, guy talking about suffering and he's talking to this room full of people who have experienced a ton of suffering and he he says this he says the statement i believe that suffering leads to salvation and and he even connected it to christ and the gospel which which we'll get there in a minute but but he he just began to show in his own life and it was very personal to him. He wasn't just there, you know, doing a you know PR thing. He wasn't just I mean, he was I think he's involved with this ministry, if I'm not mistaken, but he was there to resonate with the suffering of other people and saying that he believed that suffering leads to salvation. And so, you know, the suffering we experience and and if you're not experienced suffering, you know, praise the Lord. You know, that's that's good. We don't ask for suffering. Uh, But if you're a believer, you better prepare for it. Um, It's coming, and so this this for you right now. As we kind of tease out what suffering looks like, could be very applicable right now. Like I I want you to hear some of that. Um, But but if you're not suffering right now, file this away because this is important. Um, You know, physical suffering and the pain of broken bodies. And sickness and death, um, that seems to be no purpose. It makes little to no sense to us. Um, emotional suffering, mentally, uh, relational suffering, f- you know familial stuff, like financial hardships and brokenness, you know your inability to find work when you desire to work all these maybe seemingly mild forms of suffering in in the grand scheme of the world, are that. They're suffering that ought to lead us to long for salvation and redemption from those forms. Let me just close this point. Matthew Henry, famous commentator, commenting on this psalm, put it better than I could, so let me just read this quick little quote. He says that God considers the frame of his people and will proportion their trials to their strength by the care of his providence, as well as their strength to their trials by the power of his grace. Oppression makes a wise man mad, especially if it continues long. Therefore, for the elect's sake, the days will be shortened, that whatever becomes of their lot in this world they may not lose their lot among the chosen. All suffering leads to salvation. Uh, but the last thing that the psalm shows us is that, that evil also prompts up in our lives. Evil, looking at verses 4 and 5. Um, sorry. Um, a couple weeks back, we went Hiking. Uh, I mentioned it. I told you I was going to slow drip these illustrations in for you. And so here's, a, here's another dose of it. Um, d- end of day one, we're hiking. It's probably the heart, most difficult part of the hike, uh, the switchbacks, the back and forth at the end of the day. And uh, it, it, this is late afternoon and a storm is coming at us. And so you see, you know, at the top of this, you see just dark, ominous clouds that are, they're headed towards us. And um, at this point, I'm at the front of the pack, which has not happened. The, the guys, the rest of us are behind a little bit. And I'm just going to be honest, I just, I was like, I got to get to camp. I got to go. So there was no, like, no, no, no men left behind. It was like, we got to get to the top of this hill. We got to beat this storm. We got to set up camp. And, um, and so I'm going up and rain starts coming and then hail starts coming, and then thunder starts coming, and then I'm thinking lightning is right behind it. And so, you know, I go into prayer mode like crazy. Like, I'm like, all right, it's time to pray. It's time to get serious about this hike. I'm I'm up here at, at a high altitude where lightning could be potentially falling down on me. And I began to pray, and, you know, prayer always starts off so ambitious. You know, I'm like, praying about God's, you know, um, like his glory and the creation and how he controls storms. But as as the storm got more serious, my prayers got a lot worse. In fact, by the end of my, you know, praying time on this peak, I was just giving God good reasons to keep me alive. I mean, honestly, I was just like, God, I got a baby coming, um... The Church you know got some church work to, I mean, I was really just listing off god you should you should keep me alive just a little longer, please and it just it really got weak, um, and you know I was reading these last verses and and really this turns into a prayer uh, if you caught it when I read it, I mean it transitions into from kind of this dec- these declaration de- declaratory. Uh, phrases into more of a prayer in verses 4 and 5, and I began to think, like, is this a prayer of, God, do good things for good people, and do bad things to bad people, because like on initial surface reading, that's kind of what I came up with, and that's kind of how my prayer felt like on that hike, was like, God, I'm good, please, um, please, God, save me. And um, really what's happening is there's, there's this two-part prayer uh, that the psalmist gives us showing that the external faith that we display, the things that we do to show our faith, has to be an inward reality for us to have assurance. In, in other words, you know, the, you know, the epidemic, the, the, the ever-occurring prob- ever problem with God's people has always been it's about external only. Like, do the right things, say the right things, act the right way, you know, do what God requires of me and it'll be okay, void of the internal reality of our faith. And so, verse 4 shows us that the upright in heart, the the quote-unquote good people, are those who would trust in the Lord and not in themselves. We're going we're gonna to come back to this, but, but trusting in, what the Lord has done for them and not in and of themselves and what they're doing for the Lord. Verse 5 shows that the crooked in heart, the wicked, the evil, are those who would say that they trust the Lord, but in fact they don't. So they would profess a belief that has all kinds of external signs of it, but there is no inward reality of it in their heart. We call that hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the seed of having false assurance. Hypocrisy is the evil that Jesus most frequently confronted. You remember um, in the Sermon on the Mount, so this is best sermon ever preached, Jesus preaching to the crowd in Matthew chapter 7, and he says this, he says, I'll, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't think I put it up there. Um, he says, listen, not everybody who comes up to me and says, Lord, Lord, look at all of these things that we've done for you. Look at, look at the way we've prophesied is the, the language he uses. Let me add on to what Jesus said. But in other words, he would be saying, Lord, people that would come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, look at what I did. You know, I, I, I tithed and I went to church and I helped ladies across the street, and I read my Bible, and I prayed, and I did all of the right things. Lord, Lord, will you welcome me into my kingdom? And Jesus' response was I won't paraphrase this. He said, on that, uh, He said, I, He will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Yeah, how's that for assurance and security? You know, that, that, what Jesus is addressing is false assurance, false security, because it's security that's ultimately rooted in what we've done, not in what Christ has done for us. So what's the difference between false security that leads us astray into the evil that the psalmist is talking about and true security that leads us to the source of peace, everlasting, eternal peace, Well, the difference is that when you're on the tightrope of faith that we're all walking, um, when things get wobbly, your life experiences, your struggles, your difficulties, when that happens, what do you run to? Do you run to your own performance? Do you give a God a list in prayer format of why he should bless you, what you've done for him? Or do you run to the rock? to hide and to find refuge in the only source of peace offered to us. Look at the way the psalm both ends and begins. Peace be upon Israel. Who is it addressed to? Those who trust in the Lord. The promise of the psalm is that anyone, anyone, anyone who trusts in the Lord can have this peace, but the fullness of that peace is only available because somebody else came to face the war that we couldn't. So let's use the, the framework kind of close like this, talking about doubt, suffering, and evil. Do you know anybody else who experienced tumultuous life like? difficult circumstances, was misunderstood, and at the end of it, he, he doubted God. I'm talking about Jesus, predictable. Um, Jesus, at the end of his life, the night before he was killed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes into the garden, and he begins to pray to God, and his the, the essence of his prayer is doubt. He begins to be filled with doubt. and I mean, the essence of the prayer is, is there any other way, God? Like, I don't... Is there any other way that we can do this, that we can rescue people? Is there any other way, God? Can this cup pass from me? He's filled with doubt, but God says, no, there is no other way. And so Jesus goes on to face suffering, and he faces suffering like you and I will never, ever, ever know, physical suffering to be sure. You know, a back that's been plowed and torn and ripped open. He's been thrown on the ground. He's filled with dirt and filth. I mean, you know, he's spit at, mocked, slapped. You you know those details. Physical suffering, to be sure. But the worst part about his suffering was that as he hung on the wood, the father, whom he had dwelt with eternally, never been separated from, turned his face, and he left him there. He left him there for dead. He faced suffering like you and I will never experience if we're in Christ. And then perhaps the most evil thing that he faced was the hypocrisy of the people around him—the people who said we love you, Lord; people who said we want to do everything for you, Lord; people who said we're going to tell the world about you, Lord. And then Peter denies him three times publicly. You know, Judas sells him out for a bag of silver. They say all these things to be true and they don't really believe them. But the the most profound thing about the gospel is that at the end of it all, Jesus looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. (laughs) Like, what do you do with that? Like, a God that could be that good. Like, Do you even have a category for grace like that? Um, peace is offered to the believer who trusts in the Lord. No more tyranny, no more hostility, no more division, but now freedom and harmony and safety and blessedness is offered to anyone who would trust in the Lord and not in themselves. So when doubt, evil, and suffering invade our lives, the gospel, and the Lord of that gospel, Jesus Christ, will never let you down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for writing these songs for us, songs that um, they really intersect with our life and with our faith and with our experience with you and the doubts that we that we inevitably face and that well up within us. And Lord, we pray that you would root us and anchor us in the gospel, that Christ would be the centerpiece, the cornerstone, the very rock on which we build all of our understanding about you. That Lord, when when the floods and the storms and the winds and everything in our life uh, threaten to undo us, Lord, the gospel never will. So Lord, help us to believe. And help us in our unbelief. We pray these things in Jesus' name.